Thanks for the welcome. Hope you're all well and uh, looking forward to sharing you in, in, with you in this three-part series. This is number two on uh, faith last week and today on hope. The big three of the Bible. We want to fill our year with faith, hope and love. Now when I say the word hope, uh, in English I think this word has become quite weak. In the way that we use the word hope, if you think about it, some of us may have got up today and thought, I hope it doesn't rain today. Well, it did. Uh, And that was really just wishful thinking, wasn't it? We say hope because, well, it might or it might not. You might look into this year and think, I hope I get a pay rise this year. And you use the word hope because you think, well, I might or I might not. In other words, hope means uncertainty. It's a wishful thinking about the future, about things that might happen, but there again, they might not. My wife might say, I hope Andrew remembers to put the bins out when, today, or wishful thinking, isn't it? You know, that, that's imagination about the future. But when we use the word in the Bible, the word hope is not wishful thinking. Bible hope is about God putting something bomb-proof, certain, and reliable on our horizon and allowing us to so understand its concrete truth, we can live for it. Here's my definition of hope then. To redefine it from what we mean as wishful thinking to what the Bible means, try this definition. Definition: Hope is the confident expectation of a glorious future that is so certain we can live for it now. So that's biblical hope. We have the confident expectation of a glorious future, and it is so certain, not wishful thinking, so certain, you can begin to live for it now. Let me use an illustration of how powerful this hope can be. When hope appears on our horizon, it can motivate and energize us through every challenge of life. A few years back, we took our family up uh, the mountain called Snowdon. You may know that Snowdon is, is a mountain in Wales, and it's the highest mountain in England and Wales. And it was a hot August day, and you may also know about Snowden that there is a train going to the top. Unusual. But we didn't allow our children the privilege of the train. We walked up Snowden, and we got about halfway up, and they were hot and bothered, and five years of age, that was the other thing. Um, and, uh, And so about halfway up, they were giving up. You know, their heads had dropped, they were complaining, they were tripping over. So we said, I said to them, I know the mountain quite well, and I said, look, Let's get to the next horizon, which is just a few minutes away. And then when we get there, we're going to let you decide if you want to go back or go to the top. So we got to that horizon. And I knew that from that horizon, it was the first point at which you could see the summit of Snowden opening up ahead of you on the far horizon. So we got to that horizon, and I showed this to the children. I said, there it is. There is the summit of Snowden. And can you see a little building just off to the side of the summit? Yeah, yeah, they could see it. That's where the train goes up to, and that is a cafe. And in there is a huge ice cream for each of you. (laughs) And the train to take you back down again. What do you want to (laughs) do? Well, decision was made. Hope of something glorious on the horizon can motivate a five-year-old to walk up Snowden. That's how powerful hope is. Unfortunately, when we arrived at the top, they'd sold out of ice creams, and the train was completely booked out, and that gave me a wonderful opportunity to teach our children that all hopes in this life ultimately will fail us as they, (laughs) 
as they marched furiously back down the mountain without an ice cream. Anyway, hope is powerful. It puts something on the horizon and says, go for it. Live for it. It's yours. Now, I don't know about you, but as our world faces the future, we could do with a bit of this hope, don't you think? There is a certain hopelessness that is creeping into society as political turbulence and financial depression and social problems mean that people are, in many cases, fearing the future. I heard one, overheard one person comment, I dread to think what kind of a world our children will grow up in. You may be here today, and less on the global scale, but just local to your life, you are facing some real challenges that leaves you dreading 2017. You're looking forwards without real hope and confidence for your future. You may feel that you've lost hope, and you feel like you want to give up. Well, listen, today I want to encourage you. There is a God of hope, and he wants to put a bright, shining hope back on our horizon. He wants to give us a hope and a future that will energize us to overcome every challenge that we face. Amen? Now, with that in mind, I want to read a prayer with you over this message, over our lives and our families, over this year that will set us up for this topic. So Romans 15 says this. Let me read it to you first and then we'll all join in together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're facing today and in this year, let this be a prayer that you read over your life and future. Amen. So can we read this together? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when we look at hope then, I want to imagine that someone, imagine yourself like this person in the picture, you're looking forwards into your future. And I want to talk today about the horizons of hope. The near horizon 2017 and our life on this earth, and then the far horizon, our lives beyond this life, eternity. Now the problem in the world around us is that when we look up to that far horizon, there is no certain confident hope. And therefore, on that far horizon appears just a big question mark that looms large over many people's lives that one day this life on earth quite soon will be over and we don't know what comes next. Now, as a result of that, we can avoid the far horizon. We try and avoid it by eating health foods, exercising at the gym and singing with Robbie Williams, I hope I'm old before I die. We try and avoid the far horizon and all idea of hope collapses into little things on the near horizon. We're back to wishful thinking about small, relatively fragile things that in the end, there's nothing wrong with these things, but when you put all your hope in these things, you will be disappointed. Whether that's a relationship, whether that's money and the security of possessions, whether that's a job or a career or a course, or getting the grades, these are all good things, but none of them are solid places for all our hope. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, he puts it this way, 1 Timothy 6, command the rich 
not to put their hope in money, which is so uncertain. Notice he doesn't say that there's any problem with being rich. The problem is, don't put your hope in your money. It's so uncertain. And one day it will all be gone because you'll be gone. (laughs) No, no, we need to find a more solid place for lasting hope. And the way the Bible does this is the other way around. Instead of starting with hopes on the near horizon, the Bible puts a big, shiny, glorious hope on the far horizon and says, this is certain through Jesus. Now live lives for that hope. Here you can see then a glorious hope And here's the way this message works. We're going to see the hope we have on the far horizon. And then rather like the sun that rises over the far horizon and then shines light into our immediate lives, so biblical hope puts something shiny and glorious on the far horizon. That's part one. And then we're going to see how that shines into our immediate lives and fills 2017 with hope. Part two. Is that okay? Part one then is the far horizon, the hope of heaven. When we understand how the Bible teaches hope, we realize that God is telling us not that our future in heaven is a possibility, but an absolute certainty. Something, in fact, that's already sorted and certain and waiting for us to arrive. Listen to this passage in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Can we say that together? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and listen to this, and into an inheritance that cannot perish or spoil or fade, It is kept in heaven. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Notice then that the Bible says your eternal future is already sorted and certain and just sitting there waiting for you. Why? Well, because we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is as alive as Jesus Christ who is risen and reigning forever. So our hope is secured in Jesus. And when we put our confidence, when we put our hope in Jesus, we are born again into the family of God. Now, as children of God, we are therefore given an inheritance. It's already written in our names, secure and waiting for us on that far horizon. When I was born... Uh, a few years back, unbeknownst to me, my grandfather took out in my name a child inheritance bond. And what it meant was that at the point of my birth, he put a sum of money into an account written in my name. And for the duration of my early years, that sum just sat there earning interest year on year. And when I was 21 years of age, it was released for me to have. That's good news, isn't it? It's what we call gospel. Good news. Now, when in my early years I was unaware of its existence, it was still there, written in my name, waiting for me. Age 11, I think, my parents told me about the existence of this inheritance. And as a young man, very motivated by money, this gave me a whole new reason for living, frankly. (laughs) 
I wanted to get to be 21. I was very motivated to reach that stage in my life because once I got there, it was, it was already waiting for me. Now, at the point of your new birth, your heavenly father set up an account in, his, in your name in his kingdom and glory. And it's earning interest and it's waiting for us. And one day when we, when we see him, we will receive all that he has laid up in store for us. Now that's biblical hope. It's already there and it gives a whole new purpose for living. Now some of us maybe think, well, this is all very, very positive, but how could we possibly know this? How can we know what is certain on that far horizon until we get there? Well, listen to the second reading from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Notice again, we have this hope. It's not a possibility, it's already in our possession. And the key to it is that this hope is an anchor for our souls. Now, as you hear the word anchor, I'm sure you understand the, the, the image. You have this vulnerable, fragile thing, small thing, but it is chained or roped to some massive, immovable rock thing that is the anchor. And it is safe because it's attached to that which cannot move. That's biblical hope. But whilst I say anchor, I'm sure most of us think of sailing and boats and ships. We'll come to that, but I want to change the, I think there's a better analogy that understands biblical hope. Think not sailing, think rock climbing, something I'm more interested in. And uh, rock climbing, when it comes to anchor, works a bit like this. Imagine a team of climbers arrive at at the foot of a cliff face. They're intending to all climb that cliff face on that day. The key thing is that one person who's the brave person, becomes what's known as the lead climber. They're the first one. They're the pioneer who choose to climb this cliff, and it's brave because if they fall, there's no one above them to catch them. But here's the thing. If that lead climber makes it to the top, in a sense, all the hopes of the climbing team are vested in that person. If they make it, the team can now have absolute confidence that they're going to make it. Why? Because that lead climber at the top sets up an anchor. That's what it's called. It attaches the rope through various devices to the absolute bomb-proof rock of the mountain. And then one by one, the lead climber as the belay anchored to the rock can bring up the rest of the team. Now notice then what Hebrews said. Hebrews 6 verse 20 that we just read. Jesus went before us and entered heaven on our behalf. Do you understand the analogy? He is the lead climber. All our hopes for humanity were vested in him. And as he climbed, if you like, to the glory of God and ascended to the Father, he's taken our humanity right to the summit. And now, as we make our way through life, by faith, we become roped to him. We may slip, but he will not let us fall. He is ultimately bringing us to where he is. So he is our hope. He is our future, our destiny. The whole thing has been secured in him. Christ has made it. 
And so rope to him as our anchor, we will make it also. That is Christian hope. It's not possibility, it's certainty because it's rooted in where Christ already sits, bringing us to glory. Now, if you've ever done climbing, you'll know that one of the greatest moments is called topping out. It's the moment where, having faced the cliff face for so long, your head pops over the top and you see the summit. It's an absolutely brilliant moment. It's joy, it's relief, it's everything. And one day soon, not that far off, relatively speaking, each of us are going to top out. Over that far horizon, on that day, we will see the one who has held us safe all the way, Jesus Christ. What a moment that will be. What a moment that will be. Our hope will be fulfilled in that moment when we top out into glory and we see the one who saved us and brought us there securely roped to him. And here's the even more amazing thought. We're told in the Bible that when we see him, we will be like him. What a thought. Our hope is not just to be with Christ, but to become like Christ. Just as he has been glorified, so in his presence we will be glorified with him. All our weakness, all sin, all disability will be driven out of us by the power of his glory and we will be metamorphosed and transfigured into his image and likeness there to share his glory forever. And that is what we're roped to. That's our anchor. He's bringing us home. Hallelujah. It's hard to... uh, Hard to imagine this, isn't it? If you want to try, read one of C.S. Lewis's books called The Great Divorce, in which he pictures one of us, ordinary earthlings, being shown round the glory of heaven. And uh, as this person's being taken round, they see coming towards them this dazzling, beautiful, glorious being. And they're so overwhelmed by the glory that they fall down on their knees as if to worship this thing. And they ask the guide, you know, who is this? Is this the one, meaning the Messiah? Or is this the angel of the Lord? And the guide laughs. No, 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 he says. This is is someone you've never even heard of. This is Sarah Smith from Golders Green. She used to live in London. (laughs) The one you're about to fall down and worship is just an ordinary lady in this life. But this is what she looks like in glory. That captures for us the hope that we have. Let me put it this way. If you could see Jim Thody from Market Deeping, as one day he will be, you would be sorely tempted to fall down and worship him. (laughs) That's the glory that lies ahead for all who are roped to Christ. It is a sure and certain hope. And so the Bible encourages us even to anticipate this in advance. What did we say? This is a hope that is so certain we can live for it now. We get a sense of what is ahead of us ahead of time. Over Christmas, I was, uh, we went to stay with my parents. And on Christmas, sort of lunchtime afternoon, I was talking to my father in the living room. And my mother was in the kitchen making sort of Christmas dinner. And I was feeling hungry as the smell of dinner began to waft through from the kitchen to where we were sitting, and my stomach began to groan. Have you ever had this experience? Rumbling and groaning with just this hunger and longing. And the smell was giving me, even though I hadn't seen what lay ahead, 
the smell was giving me a foretaste of the hope that I had. (laughs) Now that's an image for how we as Christians, by the Holy Spirit, even now we're given a foretaste in worship in the Lord's presence. We're just receiving something of, if you like, a smell of the incredible things that lie ahead. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, "Ah, the spirit within us groans with longing for all that lies ahead. In a, in a world that is hungry for hope, hungry for a day when there'll be no more crying, no more mourning and funerals, no more pain and sickness, no more hatred and evil. Aren't you hungry for that? And the Spirit says, it's being cooked up for us right now. <laughs> get, a fra- get a fragrance of it, even today. God is cooking up for us something so glorious and so delicious that one day we will top out and experience the whole thing. That is on the far horizon, it is the hope of heaven. But as we see that hope on the far horizon, as you see in this next image, that hope on the far horizon then shines back to hope on the near horizon, the hope that we have here on earth. We've got that hope secured in heaven, but now I want to just focus on how that hope shines back into 2017 and fills up this near horizon with hope as well. Two ways in which this hope of heaven, this eternal hope, brings hope to us here. Firstly, through giving us confidence. The Christian is supremely confident because of this hope. Confidence in this sense, this hope reassures us it's going to be okay even when life is scary. Don't you have moments where you're scared, where you're concerned, you're anxious for yourself, for your kids, for the future, for our nation, whatever it may be? Today the message is this, whatever happens, it's going to be okay. We are roped to Jesus Christ, he will not let us fall, he will not let us down. It gives us confidence. Now the early Christians exuded this supreme confidence. Early Christians were persecuted by the emperors just after the end of Bible times, Nero and Domitian and others, targeted Christians. Some of them were put into amphitheaters with lions and bears so that crowds could watch them as sport being torn to pieces, alive. Others were coated in tar and set on fire in gardens to act as garden lights for the emperor's parties for his guests. Christians faced unbearable challenges. And yet, as Christians were set on fire, Christianity spread like wildfire. Why? Because as these early Christians died, they died with supreme confidence. They sang hymns, they forgave their enemies, and they looked like they were about to experience victory. (laughs) Now, as the persecutors saw this unfold, they realized these Christians... They've really got something. They've got something that this world doesn't hold for us. They've got a hope that you can't kill. And as the persecutors saw the Christians, soon the persecutors became Christians because hope shines brightly in the darkest of places. I heard a great conversation between one early Christian martyr and the emperor. It went something like this. The emperor threatened, we will exile you. The Christian replied, you can't. (laughs) The whole world is my father's house. The emperor says, well, we will execute you. 
You can't. My life is hidden with Christ. Well, then we'll dispose of your estate. You can't. All my treasure is in heaven. Well, then we'll put you in solitary confinement. You can't. I have a friend from whom you can never separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to harm me. Now that, that is supreme confidence, isn't it? What can you do to someone who is that free in life? And hope, Christian hope, can set us that free. Whatever happens in this near horizon, you cannot take away the hope that I have on that far horizon. Supreme confidence. I don't know what you're facing this year, but can I reassure you, whatever it is, it cannot take away the ultimate hope that's ready and waiting for you on that far horizon. So live through the challenges with supreme Christian confidence. Whether it's hard Brexit or soft Brexit, we have a hope. Amen? (laughs) Beyond all of that. Whether this year you get promotion or redundancy... We have a hope beyond all of that. Whether this year you get married or you're single, it's beyond all of that. Whether the test results are benign or malignant, it's beyond all of that. Whether you get the grades or you don't get the place, it's beyond all of that. Whether it's raining or shining, we have hope. And it cannot be taken away. Supreme Christian hope. And therefore... We live with confidence. Our little vessel, the little lives that we live, our little families, though they are vulnerable to the storms of life and the challenges and the waves and the tides, we have an anchor, firm and secure. Just to use the sailing analogy for anchor now, I am not much of a sailor, I have to be honest, but uh, once a year I go sailing with three old uh, Cornish friends and um, they're, they're all very confident at sailing. They're all confident at sea, and the arrangement is that I make the tea, basically. <laughs> so anyway, we, went, so we go sailing, and at one time we sailed to the Scilly Isles, which was absolutely beautiful, through the night, and arrived just as the sun was rising. It was an incredible experience. And the next day, we sailed round the back of one of the islands to a cove and uh, dropped anchor for the night. They put the anchor down, I made the tea, and we, uh, we, 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 we bunkered down for the night. And in the night, the wind got up, A sort of miles relatively storm came through and the boat was rocking and moving and swinging and I'm not very experienced with these things. I I couldn't sleep. I was awake. I was sure we were drifting towards the rocks and in the end, I sort of was wandering around on the boat wondering what to do and I woke up the captain thinking he needs to know about this. So I woke him up and I'll never forget my old Cornish friend's response. He just, he heard what I had to say and he just looked at me and he said, have you seen the size of our anchor? (laughs) go back to bed, we're fine. You know, I want to say to some of us today who are facing storms and challenges, threats and things that can keep us up in the night, have you seen the size of our anchor? Have you seen the size of our anchor? Nothing and no one less than God himself through Jesus Christ. My friends, we are fine. Have a good night's sleep tonight. We are anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Confidence, supreme confidence. This hope says it's going to be okay even when life is scary. And then secondly, the other thing that comes from that far horizon and comes to us to fill up the near horizon is courage. 
And by Christian courage, I mean this. This hope gives us boldness to step out and take risks, to step out of our comfort zone, even when it's risky. Christians down the centuries have displayed a a holy boldness in the way that they've lived because they're so secure in the hope that they have. You know, there is a sort of myth out there that if you become too focused on the far horizon, the hope of heaven, you won't be any use on the near horizon on earth. And that is nonsense. In fact, it's quite the opposite. All through the centuries, you can read history and realize that Christians who've been the most certain of their far horizon hope have been the ones who've made the biggest impact in the near horizon because they've had courage. C.S. Lewis uh, puts it this way, sums it up for us brilliantly. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. In other words... Our usefulness and effectiveness on earth is proportionate to our confidence and expectation of heaven. When we get sorted and certain and secure about our ultimate future, it frees us up to live bold, risky, courageous, faithful lives here on earth. Of course, it works the other way around, doesn't it? If you don't have a sure and certain hope beyond this life well then you will be affected by fear a lot more. You'll be affected by a fear of death. You'll be affected by a fear of losing personal happiness because you will live life with an implicit assumption that this is all I've got. This is my only chance to get happy. And so I need to get happy now because I've got nothing ultimately beyond this life. Today, sociologists increasingly refer to this plague sweeping across, psychological plague, sweeping across society of the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. Why? Well, because we haven't got a final, ultimate hope. We've got to get happiness now. But the result is we get locked into quite small horizons, focused on me and what I need. We become selfish. We become fearful. But Christian hope brings us out of those small horizons and says, look at what is certain and lying ahead of you. Now, with that in mind, be free to live beyond yourself with courage today. Hope says you cannot lose what you've been given in Christ. So live for the things that last. You can't lose the final hope that's in Christ So in the meantime, let's live for the things that last. Amen? A few months back, I um, went to Hong Kong, and there I had a privilege of spending a day with a lady called Jackie Pullinger, who some of you may have heard of. Jackie uh, became famous because she, at the age of 18, I think it was, uh, made a very courageous move. She got on a boat with a one-way ticket that was heading to Tokyo, I think, and she prayed and said, God, I'll get off and make a difference wherever you tell me to. Well, She felt that was Hong Kong, so she got off at Hong Kong. She had about 20 pounds in her pocket, and she went into the city, and she asked, where is the most dark and dangerous place? 
She was told that was the walled city, which at the time was a lawless zone, a police no-go area, where triad gangs ruled the area, and it was filled with heroin, addiction, and prostitution. Jackie and others went in to bring hope to the most hopeless people in their society. Well, today, if you go there, as I did, you'll see that the walled city is now a beautiful walled garden, which is a symbolic expression of the fact that through these Christians who just lived bold, courageous lives, hope was brought that turned hopeless people into beautiful lives hundreds and thousands of times over. It's an amazing story. And when I was with Jackie, I had a chance to ask her a few questions. And I asked her one question, which went particularly badly, to be honest. Uh, I asked her the question, what made you so brave to do this? What made you so brave to do this? And she said, brave? She said, that's completely the wrong word. I wasn't brave. I just believed. I just believed. Yeah, I just believe what every Christian is supposed to believe, that I am going to heaven And on the way there, I want to extend hope to everyone I can. (laughs) Brave, she said. Dear me. (laughs) You know what she's saying is, effectively, if we all just believed that this is true, we would do some courageous things. Because with hope like this, you cannot lose what you've got in Christ. It's absolutely sure and certain. And that frees us up to take some steps of courage and faith, to do some brave, risky things in a hopeless world to get hope out everywhere we can. Now, some of us today may be living in safe mode. Quite the contrary, you know, we've taken some knocks. Maybe we were going full on for the Lord in the past, but we've pulled back through disappointments, through things that didn't work out, And we've dropped into sort of safe mode, just trying to take care of me and my family and our little pile, keeping it all safe. Listen, I want to encourage you today. Hope says, no, come on, live bigger than that. Live a more adventurous life than that. Make a difference for eternity. Step out in courageous hope that says, I'm going to share my faith in a new way. I'm going to give financially to the work of the Lord in a new way. I'm going to invite people to Alpha with new confidence because everything is already secured for me. I'm going to live free and full of hope. The Lord today is encouraging us to step out with courage. With confidence and with courage, hope shines into 2017. How did we begin? Back to our definition. Hope is Hope is the confident expectation of a glorious future that is so certain we can live for it now. Amen? Amen. We can live for it now. And some of us may have recognized that actually, spiritually speaking, we've, our heads have dropped a little bit. We've lost sight of that big picture, the far horizon, our eternal hope. I remember when I used to play rugby a few years back, we had a coach who was very vocal And one of the things he would shout at us when we'd taken a few hits and got a bit discouraged, it was possible playing rugby to sort of be more aware of the opposition and trying to avoid getting hurt than really taking opportunities and playing a good game. And he used to shout at us from the touchline, heads up boys, heads up. He saw that our heads had dropped and we weren't looking up and seeing what was on the horizon and so he cried that out to us. And I feel today the Lord is saying something quite similar to many of us. 
We, our heads have dropped. We've taken a few hits. And today, hope says, heads up, church. Heads up. Amen? Look at what is on the horizon and live for it with confidence and courage in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.